Welcome to Cool Explorations. I am your host, Tony Peters. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Living Like a Conqueror, and it is a segment from Michael Dowd's The Gospels. Uh, and we're going to be discussing the fact that spiritual battles happen all around us every day. We just aren't aware of all the details of these battles on most occasions, and trust me when I tell you, you don't want to be aware of what goes on. I have personally been a witness of this recently, uh, of this kind of spiritual battle, and it was very overwhelming, and honestly, it, it shook me to my core, so it will shake you to your core. Uh, maybe one day I'll share more about that experience, uh, but for today I'll just use it as an illustration of why we need to be firmly founded in our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, when temptation and weakness strikes, we need to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for our strength. Today, we're going to take a look at um, a few pieces of scripture, but Revelation 13, 1-10 is going to be our main scripture of focus. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul puts our entire Christian lives into its proper context. Uh, we don't wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God's Holy Spirit dwells within you, then you will live every moment and every day on a cosmic battlefield in which the evil cosmic powers seek to devour you. But Paul continues to say in Ephesians 6.13, and God has given us what we need to conquer evil cosmic powers, telling us to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And if you're feeling like you're in that kind of battle today, uh, if you're feeling like it's just something you can't win, call upon the Lord. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. Pray. Turn to your Bible. Talk to your pastors. Go to church. It's really great to have that fellowship and that support from other people and be able to call upon other people for their knowledge and their wisdom in times of our struggles. It'll really give you strength to get through it. And the message from Revelation 13, 1-10 is that we're all to live like conquerors, all the more when the cost of living in this cosmic battlefield comes at a terrible and terrifying price. Previously, we saw Paul describe uh, the coming of the Antichrist as a man of lawlessness who will be empowered by Satan for the purpose of exalting Satan and his Antichrist as the object of worldwide worship in place of our God, the God, Yahweh. But what comes next is the terrible cost of going against the grain of Satan's program during this time of terror for those on the earth who reject him, a time which Jesus describes in Matthew twenty four twenty one. For then there will be great suffering, unlike anything that has happened from the beginning of the world until now or ever will happen. In Revelation 12, 12, John gives us some insight as to why this will be so. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. His time is limited, 
But in that limited time, we'll see Satan empower the Antichrist to bring him worldwide worship and gain for himself a worldwide victory over God's people that God will temporarily allow. And just remember that God's still in control. He's allowing this to happen for his ultimate purpose. And through all that, God will command his people to faithfully endure the suffering Satan's wrath will bring in the midst of this cosmic battle. God himself is ultimately Satan's diabolical objective. So he's attacking God's people because he knows he can't defeat God. From what we know of the time of Satan's first act of rebellion against God, the scriptures give us a picture of a mighty and glorious angel who ultimately, who ultimately bristled at the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Satan clearly saw himself as God's equal, and that has never changed. And so he feels he's equally worthy of worship. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us to learn that when he knows his time is short, at the end of the age, Satan will pull out all the stops. In Revelation, John will show us the ultimate spiritual warfare, the kind that can't be ignored. Satan's deceptive powers are unleashed in and through the Antichrist, set on drawing people away from turning to God. With the Antichrist empowered by Satan and Satan's time clock ticking, he will be emboldened into drastic actions blatantly going after people who choose to follow God. And it must be remembered, though, that God is in control. Satan is only allowed this time because it is a time of God's wrath. Satan's actions at the end of the age, although occurring within a God-ordained limited time frame, need to be understood in an age-old context, for his actions are rooted in the age-old conflict. In Revelation 12, John gives a behind-the-scenes summary of the great and age-old cosmic battle between good and evil. There's a great deal of symbolic imagery in Revelation 12 that's very difficult to interpret. So, in the interest of time, let's sum it up uh, a little bit here. Um, and it is a very symbolic and uses a lot of imagery in Revelation. So there's definitely a lot of interpretation that, that goes into it. Uh, and different people believe different things, whether it be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or um, there's many other different things you can, you can take out of it. So let's just keep in mind that there are many interpretations. Um, I myself am pre-trib. I, I do believe it will be taken up in the rapture before the tribulation period happens. Uh, at some point in the distant past, and at least prior to the fall of humanity in Genesis 3, Satan led a rebellion against God, in which he enticed one-third of the angelic host to follow him. Ultimately, Satan and his angels were consigned to the earth. And as we discovered in Genesis 3, Satan was given power and authority over the earth. This dominion of Satan is well attested in the scriptures, as Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. 
three separate times in John's gospel he does this. And through his dominion over the earth, Satan has endlessly waged war against God and God's people. Uh, and in the New Testament, that became God's church. In the Old Testament, that was the Jewish nation. Uh, and he still wages war against the Jewish nation to this day, especially seeking to destroy Christ and seemingly succeeding in doing so. Yet in Revelation 12, 5, John points out that Satan's great failure in his aims as Christ was raised from the dead, he was exalted to heaven and God's throne, and that despite Satan's dominion on earth, the day will come when Christ will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Presently, Satan has not been denied access to God's presence. The scriptures teach, and John affirms in Revelation 12.10, that Satan accuses God's people day and night before our God. But John describes a future day when war will break out in earnest in heaven, and led by the angel Michael, Satan and his angels will be defeated by a host of heavenly angels and be irreversibly cast to the earth. Satan will know he has little time. He will be filled with wrath and will direct that wrath at God's people, Israel, those Jews who will turn to Christ in unprecedented numbers during this time of great tribulation. But God will provide refuge for those Jewish saints in the last half of this seven-year tribulation period. And so Satan, the great dragon of old, will redirect this war and his efforts against those Gentiles who will come to Christ in this time, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, as John writes in 12.17. Having given us the cosmic setting for Satan's hostile ambitions, John then transitions to those ambitions, to how those ambitions will be brought to pass in Revelation 13, by building on the reader's expectations. He closes 12.17 by saying of Satan, and he stood on the sand of the sea, and as he stood in Revelation 13, 1-2 states, I, John, saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Although the language here is pretty, is pretty symbolic, Satan is essentially bringing to pass in these verses what he attempted to do when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, when the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Matthew 4, 8-9. Jesus rejected Satan's offer. But the Antichrist will willingly embrace Satan's offer. And when you look at these, this imagery here, uh, I was just listening to Phil Powers speak, a wonderful speaker, and he connects it all back to Daniel and Daniel's visions. And it makes it very clear what Daniel was talking about and how they are connected. Uh, and we see this in the way the Antichrist referred to as a beast in verse 1 and is described with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns. 
which is nearly identical to the description of Satan in Revelation 12.3, uh, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. John reverses the order of where the diadems or crowns are on Satan, and the beast, because the heads are the main feature with Satan, very likely indicative of Satan's age-old authority as the ruler of this world, while the horns are the main feature with the beast. Uh, and this is very possibly indicative of the worldwide power structure Satan will engineer at the time of the end to enact his diabolical will, just as it parallels Daniel 7 and Revelation 17. Uh, as verse 2 states, Satan will grant the Antichrist the power, throne, and authority to rule over this end-time worldwide structure of power. And as verse 1 indicates, this power structure will serve the purpose of being of bringing great blasphemies against God. This blasphemous character of worldly kingdoms is not new to human history, but as verse 2 indicates, with its compassion, uh, comparison to the leopard, bear, and lion, John is recalling Daniel's use of different beasts to symbolize worldly kingdoms over the ages to teach us that the kingdoms of the Antichrist will be like the sun are the sum of the worst of these kingdoms combined. And the greatest blasphemy Satan will perpetrate will be through the Antichrist, and it will be to mock and counterfeit the death and resurrection of Christ. Satan will mimic the redeeming work of Christ with the apparent death and resurrection of the Antichrist. Very simply, in verses 3 to 4, John teaches that the beast will suffer what appears to be a mortal wound, most likely a deception, but will be healed from this mortal wound. And we know that this will be a very public and widely known event because John says in verse 3, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. The verb translated marveled here is used more than 20 times in the Gospels to describe people's reactions to Jesus and his miracles. And yet, unlike Jesus, whose miraculous works did not keep him from scorn and crucifixion, and whose death and resurrection has never led to a dominant worldwide following, God will reveal the depth and breadth of the fallen humanity's depravity. The, wor the work of this demonic counterfeit will win a widespread worldwide community, uh, and it'll be believers who will not only marvel at him, but as verse 4 indicates, they will worship the beast and his lord Satan with awe, say, awe and wonder, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? The world will finally find the Messiah it has been looking for and will fall head over heels in admiration for him. He will create the universal impression he is unbeatable, as Paul mentioned in Second Thessalonians 2. A strong delusion God will enhance rather than refute at least for a time because it is part of God's plan and although Satan is going to appear to be winning by using the Antichrist this is temporary God is pouring out his wrath upon the earth and as such it is part of his plan punishing those 
who have previously rejected him. However, God still allows people to turn away from their wicked ways and choose to follow him right until Christ returns on a white horse. And then he will be coming like a conqueror. Not only will God allow this time of the Antichrist, but he will enable it. Three times in verses 5 to 8, John uses the passive verb to give, which, as the ESV translates, into two of these instances as to allow. This is what's known as a divine passive, indicating that a certain activity finds its source by permission, authority, power, and etc. There's more from God himself. And in verse 5, we see first that God will give the Antichrist the authority and the means to blaspheme for three and a half years. Ironically, although Satan is the one who will seemingly grant the beast his authority, as we saw in verse 2, in truth it will be the sovereign God who does so. And in doing so, God will open the door, as we see in verse 6. For this vile creature to blaspheme God, his heavenly dwelling place, and all that dwell there. Which shows us that things of this earth really aren't important. What's important is God, and God's plan, and that our focus remain on God, and God's authority, and God's wondrous being, which is not of this earth. So, Satan may take control of earth, but... Ultimately, God still is in control. And the word blaspheme means to speak in a way that denigrates or defames someone in a reviling or slanderous way. But this won't simply be a war of words. God will permit the Antichrist to successfully wage war against his people. The first part of verse 7 states, Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Or as Jesus may have been describing in Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And all the nations will be moved to hate those who come to Christ in the tribulation period, because God will give the Antichrist authority over the nations, every tribe and people and language and nation as John writes at the end of verse 7. Like his master Satan, the Antichrist will hate God's people, and the vast majority of the earth will, who will worship him, as Jesus said, join the beast in this hatred. And that just shows the darkness of the devil. The devil is the dark, and God is the light. And we can infer from John's words in verse 8 that those who have trusted in Christ in this time, whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, will be the exception to this hate fest. They will be the light. Yet in a world where for a time God allows Satan and his Antichrist to wage world war against God's people, unfettered, refusing to worship the beast, will come at a terrifying cost. In Revelation 6, 9-11, John once again gives us a heavenly behind-the-scenes look at that cost. He says, I saw under the altar the souls 
of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This time of suffering for tribulation, believers, will be so severe that the distress of it will remain palpable even in heaven, yet on earth his people are to follow the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Having painted this ominous and terrifying picture of hell unleashed on earth, John then abruptly shifts to a command in verse 9, using the very same preamble and command that Jesus used earlier in Revelation to each of the seven churches. If anyone has an ear, let him hear, which basically says, if anyone has an ear, he had better listen. And what is the command believers had better heed in this unprecedented time of tribulation for God's people? John tells us in verse 10, in a way the New Living Translation communication, uh, communicates in a very understandable fashion here. Uh, and it says, anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Prison and death will be the fate of the faithful who refuse to worship the beast. All authority over the nations will be given to the beast. No earthly authority, therefore, will respond to appeals for clemency or mercy. It will be a world war on God's people. And the Antichrist will seem, by every account, to conquer them, as we saw in verse 7. What are the believers to do in this hopeless state? In verses 9 to 10, John gives believers a snapshot of this command in action during his preview to this time of tribulation in chapter 12. He says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. In other words, John's commands to the tribulation believers is to live in a very particular way. God encourages those of us who are suffering and yet put our trust in him. He wants us and wants them to know that he is with them in their suffering. He has not abandoned them. God will never abandon his people. And that's a promise that we can we can live by and we can take hope in. They love not their lives, even unto death. Jesus makes a very similar statement in John 12, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. For tribulation saints to be conquerors, they will need to forgo any right or claim on their own lives while holding fast to the faithful testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ even if death is the cost of doing so. But if, as we've looked at and contended, the church will be delivered from this time of wrath, why should we at all be concerned about applying this text to ourselves? 
Remember that Paul taught the Thessalonians that the church is destined for persecution, which both in scriptures and in church history to the present has many times led to great suffering and even death. Furthermore, Jesus uses this enduring and faithful work of his conquerors on the basis for as the basis for his promised rewards to the seven churches in Revelation two to three, telling each to the one who conquers, he will give many things, being granted to eat of the tree of life, not to not be hurt by the second death, to be given authority over the nations. And as Jesus promises a church at Laodicea to sit with me on the throne, and I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And that's verse 321. The fact of the, the matter is that the believers of every age are called to God to hold fast to a faithful testimony under every circumstance, even in the face of the loss of our well-being, our liberty, or even our lives. As John says in Revelation 13.10, God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. To do so is to live like a conqueror. God calls on us to be conquerors. We are soldiers. We are warriors in God's army, called not to kill and destroy, for that is the devil's realm. But we are called to spread God's love and grace to the nations. Even those enduring the tribulation period are called to try to reach people for Christ. We need to help people see that God is the only way to redemption and restoration. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. Uh, even in God's time of pouring out his wrath upon the earth, God still shows his love, his grace, and his mercy. And he does this for those who turn to him. Even if they're too late to avoid the tribulation period and will endure much at the hands of the Antichrist, it's still not too late to receive the ultimate gift. And this gift is salvation and an eternity in heaven. The chance to be in God's glory forever. Our sufferings here on earth are only temporary. One day we will all be free from the pain, our sorrow, and the darkness that surrounds us. One day we will be in the light with new bodies on a new and wonderful world. A world as it was intended to be before sin took hold. God is our victor. Remain strong in him and live like a conqueror. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.